Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Um, we are uh, awaiting a phone call, hopefully soon, from um, Joseph Biggs, one of the Proud Boys who is now in the D.C. Gulag awaiting transfer to his permanent home after being sentenced to 17 years in prison for talking smack about the election. <laughs> Um, so we're hoping, I'm hoping he can call in, um, Joe Biggs is, was an army staff sergeant, Purple Heart veteran tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, targeted by his government for being a member of the Proud Boys, did nothing violent on January 6th, nonetheless, Judge Tim Kelly allowed, consented to a domestic terror or a terror enhancement, not domestic terror enhancement for allegedly shaking part of a temporary metal fence outside the Capitol building on January 6th, convicted by a D.C. jury, of course, of seditious conspiracy and other charges. He's been in jail since January of 2021 after his arrest. I think he and he was cooperating with law enforcement and the FBI before January 6th. Uh, Anyway, really good guy. I'll tell you, Liz, I always when I would go to these trials, I always felt the worst for him. Um, you know, these, there were a few who had pretty good family support. Um, but he's, you know, a single dad, he has a daughter he took from his ex-wife because he said in court, his, um, her grandfather was molesting her. So Joe took sole custody. Yes. And now his mother is taking care of the daughter. So he really just, he didn't have anyone there for him. And I always felt so bad for him. He's just what they've done to these men, but especially him, you know, he's a big burly army staff guy and he's just like, it's sad. So hopefully he will be able to call in so people can hear from him. Um, so pivoting, that's not a good way to start happy hour. I'm sorry. No, we wait, we save the worst stuff for the end. I mean, that's true. Don't worry, it's going to get worse. If you're yeah, listening, hold you're on, like, oh, it's not going to get worse. No, it is. It always is. <laughs> so don't Keep worry. Keep that nice handy for your wrists. Hold on. <laughs> seppuku. What is it? Commit seppuku like the Japanese or you just got yourself? Yeah. What is don't that worry. Called? Yeah, that's right. Please um, okay, so 80s trivia. It's not really a flashback, but per your recommendation, we finally, and a million other people, we finally started watching The Bear. Good. Um, which, of course, I love because it's Chicago and there's all these, cooking. you know. Yeah, cooking, which I love. Italian beef, which is on my, um, you know, last meal list. So, and the acting is just phenomenal. But my 80s flashback, so I'm watching, I think it was episode three of the first season. And this woman is talking when Carmine goes, finally goes to the AA meeting and I'm uh-huh. looking at this woman and I'm like, yep, she looks like an old Molly Ringwald. Yeah. But I'm like, yep. OK, but I don't think that's her voice. But oh, my God, she really looks like she could be Molly Ringwald's grandmother. <laughs> well, holy shit. It was Molly Ringwald. Yeah, that was great. Cam- that was a great cameo. But holy shit, Liz. I know. She's been yeah. in some other stuff. Like kind of recently, I think, um, like cameos in different series. I think she was in a series oh, yeah. for a while about like a teenager, like, and she was the mom, which is kind of sad. But you know, 
she does look different. I don't think she's had any plastic surgery. Um, so when you see her as an adult, you're like, that kind of looks like Molly Ringwald. But you wouldn't be like, oh, that looks exactly like Molly Ringwald. I don't know. Did you get that? No, I'm like, that looks like Molly Ringwald. It could be her grandmother, but it was her. So, I mean, I don't know if they really made her up to look old or if she really aged what I would say that poorly, but I'm calculating in my head. And then I'm like, I'm like, God, she looks like she could be like in her sixties. And I'm like, well, she probably almost is. I know. That's sad. Yes. Very sad. Very sad for us. I always just think, I think everything is just 20 years ago or what, like 2000, you know, like I think it's 2000. So I'm like, oh, this is just like 10 years ago. It's like, not really. Um, I'm glad you're watching the bear. Their second season is equally as good, if not better. So it's, it, you know, a lot of series start out good and then they get bad. The second season is so good. So I'm glad you're watching it because you'll be happy that you did. No, we're really um, enjoying it. And, you know, we are not TV or show watchers like we just don't. But everyone urged has urged us to you were, I think, the first person who brought it up. Um, but the scenes of Chicago are so great. And I love it. Yeah. Because of the authenticity of Chicago, like it's it's gritty, right? And it's like mm-hmm. foul mouth, but it's super family oriented. And, you know, it just really picks up, I think the vibe of of Chicago or what it used to be um but it's super cool and I think whoever that actor is who plays Carmine is phenomenal he was in um he was in Shameless which was a series on HBO I think on HBO Showtime and someone told me to watch Shameless I watched a little of it it was a it was great but it, it was it was very cringy so I couldn't keep watching it it's like Always Sunny, that show, too, which I don't watch. Ace watches it. It's cringy where it's so awkward. You're like, I'm uncomfortable. I can't watch this. Um, And he was one of the stars in Shameless. He was very good. He was younger. But he is just the standout star in The Bear. He's such a great actor. And the cooking is so well done. Whoever is the consultant on the show that, you know, that teaches them, you know, if you don't watch The Bear, it's about a Michelin chef who has to go back home to Chicago. I think he's actually a chef at the French Laundry, which is the famous restaurant where Gavin Newsom ate when all the other people in LA were locked away in their homes (laughs) and the businesses were crumbling. And so he was a chef there and he has to come home and run his brother's restaurant, his family's restaurant in Chicago, which is not a Michelin star restaurant. It's they sell Italian beef. They make beef sandwiches and it's, you know, um, it's like Julie said, it's gritty. It's it's not a pretty restaurant. It's just ut- very utilitarian. It's kind of dirty. And it <clears throat> is the story of that and and his family. And it's just such, it's so well done. And there's <clears throat> that contrast between him as like this chef preparing these like works of art at the French Laundry and then, you know, basically just throwing meat in a bun, you know, and serving it um that's line not what he did i know an italian Roll. beef sandwich with jardinera is a work of art i would eat that <laughs> over any shit at french laundry i'll tell you that <laughs> go on well i'm just making like the contrast between you know the line of people outside like getting lunch because they have the best italian beef versus this decorating a plate with like foam and parsley and little 
bits of Ikura, which is like salmon roe or what, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But it's such a great story. And it's great because what Julie said is it's really that Chicago family that they're like native Chicagoans all the way. Um, right. And we kind of forget about that when we talk about Chicago because Chicago's in the news for all these this crime. But, you know, there's a lot of people that live there that are just regular people, you know, that are just products yeah. of the city that their families have lived there for decades and decades and decades. And of course they're the big losers, but you know, they vote for Democrats. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> sad. You bought the well, ticket and what I like to ride. And obviously the ones, you know, they, then they head out to the suburbs. There's many references to Naperville, which is where I grew yeah. up. So something about the Naperville nickel, I have to figure out what that is. I don't oh, know. Is that the newspaper or something I, like, I don't, no, no, I, maybe it was, I just caught, I, I have to go back and look at in what context they were talking about it, but, um, the Chicago scenes are great. Reminds you what a beautiful city is actually we were downtown last weekend and it was beautiful out such a beautiful city. But, um, before Did we get, get into politics, which we can't, which mugged? we can't talk about Chicago politics on happy hour. So, but did you get mugged at all or you were saying <laughs> everything was safe there? We did not. We did not. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, Liz, what's going on? What's happening? Nothing Nothing in in the news. Super boring. No. So (laughs) let's let's talk about, I think, one of my favorite stories of the week. And that is this fantastic story um, about a new whistleblower. And I am always happy to hear that someone in these agencies is blowing the whistle on some of this garbage that's going on. so uh, apparently the whistle, there is a, a new whistleblower who is a senior level CIA agent who told a House committee that the CIA tried to pay off analysts in the CIA to say that the COVID virus came from an animal and not the Wuhan lab. In other words, they originally thought that the virus came from a lab like everybody fucking knew right away. Um, But they the CIA, I guess, wanted people to think it came from an animal and they were willing to pay off agents to get them to agree to that in their report, which is so beyond. I mean, it's just it's points to just the corruption that we we know now we're, we're accustomed to it. I mean, these whistleblowers come out periodically. We're getting more and more coming out, you know, from Treasury, from IRS um, and from now the CIA. And a lot of whistleblowers we don't even know about because they just go right to the House committees or to uh, Grassley's people. And they they uh, the CIA had an interest in having people believe this. And it's it's first of all, like why? Right. I mean, we know we, we see that they're corrupt. But then the next question is after the corruption issue is why? Right. Like why? What interest does the CIA have in putting out like a mythology for people to believe you know that's that's some creepy stuff right there so we'll see where that goes i mean the house committee's following up on that but it's very disturbing very very disturbing and again you got to ask yourself why what what what's in it for the cia you know does that make sense julie am i making sense when i ask that question yes what i mean what is the why did they do it? Yeah. Like, why do they care? 
why would you what you know what is the interest in having people believe who are this they, lie? Who are they protecting? Obviously, well, China. And, yes. <laughs> Qui bono, as we suspicious people say, who benefits, right? Like, right. that's a good question. And then, wh- why, what was the CIA involvement in it, which is obviously why they're doing this. I mean, they're not just protecting some rando. They're protecting themselves and their agents or whatever project they're working on. So, what what was going on with that? What was the CIA doing bio warfare uh, research in China, which of course was paid for by U.S. U.S. dollars, which we know through Echo Health Alliance. It was laundered through Echo Health Alliance. So, just a very another disturbing example of these executive agencies that are completely rogue, um, and unchecked. Really, I mean. We've already seen some whistleblowers come forward and we see what happens to them. They are retaliated against. There's really, you know, they can complain and there's processes for all that. But technically, you're not supposed to be retaliated against when you follow the proper whistleblower protocol and nothing happens. Right. We've got we had the Treasury guys come on. We had the IRS guys come on, talk about not on the show, but, you know, come out, do give testimony to the House committees. Um, And, you know, where is that going? What's up with that? Like, where is that going? Keeping, you know, Trump off? nothing. Okay. What? <laughs> nowhere. You know, going it, it, it just speaks again to the rot, the corruption of every government institution. How is this ever fixable? It's not. It's not fixable. Um, that's a great question. I ask myself that all the time. Um, what? I, people ask me or when they're talking about, it, well, what, what can we do? Or someone comes out, oh, well, we need to do this and we need to do that. I don't I don't think I don't have an answer for that. You know, these no. agencies do not have any accountability or oversight. They don't. And we have congressional committees. Again, James Comer, I know he's doing he's trying, I guess. Um, you know, on oversight, Jim Jordan on um, judiciary and these weaponization committees that are looking at the weaponization of government. But at the end of the day, there's nobody's going to jail. There's no deterrent. They're literally operating on their own. They're making their own directives in their own interest to cover up whatever shit they're doing that they shouldn't be doing that the public doesn't know about or would be upset to find out. So if there's no deterrent and there's no punishment and there's no accountability, it's just going to continue. Um, I don't I don't have a suggestion. I know Vivek came out yesterday, I think, and said, oh, he would get rid of 75 percent of the federal bureaucracy. How would you how are you going to do that? Like, how? I don't know, but he's saying all the right things. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's right. And I'm not criticizing it. No, of and course I, I know you're not. I'm not criticizing it. But really, you have to think about. You have to think about how how in practice to do that. He gets it. I mean, look, if nothing else, Vivek knows how to read the room. You know, he knows what he has to say to get, appeal to the base. And he so, yes, it's good that he said that. But in practice, that is uh, much different. You know, to be honest, something that if there was a way to fix it, I think the only way to fix it, if there's any, is we need to get, um, you know, a good Republican president in with a good Senate and House, <laughs> i.e. not Mitch McConnell and probably not Kevin McCarthy. Not and the Mitt Romney. First thing, well, we'll get into Mittens. Yes. Pierre Delecto, as you may know him on Twitter. Um, 
the first thing that has to happen immediately is civil service reform. And we have to sit. And that means people who work for the government can be fired because they cannot be fired right now. And nobody who's listening to this is in a, has that luxury. Everybody can be fired except federal bureaucrats, which makes absolutely no sense. It's very difficult to fire them. So again, just when we're talking about how do we fix things? Well, there's no oversight. There's no accountability. They're not going to lose their jobs. They're not going to lose their jobs. So again, yet another reason to do whatever the hell you want. So the only thing I see that could could help and and not optimistic is you have to reform the civil service. And these people need to be able to be fired by political appointees who come in and say, you are not doing the job that you are supposed to do and you are fired. And right now that can't happen. So these people, they're like, you know, like rotting cheese in the refrigerator. You know, they just don't go anywhere. They're making a lot of money. They, they or they vested, right? I mean, you, it's it, if you work for the government long enough, you get a, quite a pension. You know, you basically get your salary forever, you know, for the rest of your life. And you can do it for like 30 years. So if you start working for the government at age, like let's say 23 or 22, you know, you're in your fifties and you're, and you can, you can, you're good to go. But these people are like rotting corpses in the government machine. They have no incentive to do a good job. I'm not saying that they, that they aren't, they don't do, some of people don't do good, good work. I'm sure there are people that do good work, but for the most part, there's a very little incentive to excel, to do a good job, to refine what they're doing, to make anything more efficient Right. Nobody's going to call up and say, hey, you know, we have this whole department and we don't need it. You know, it doesn't do anything. Let's get rid of it. Well, what's the incentive to do that? I mean, what they do is spend all their money because if they have any left over, it'll affect their appropriations for the next year. So there's literally no incentive whatsoever to streamline or economize any way that the government works. There's only an incentive to expand it. So and of course, they do things because this is how they show they're relevant. You know, if they don't do anything which is usually reckless and unconstitutional, then people say, well, what do you do? What's your what job? What, what's the purpose of your job? Or what is it you say you do here? So it's a hot dumpster fire. But I did just like this this story so much because, again, people were saying this, you know, three years ago. Yeah, it's um, it's quite a mess, which. Now we can kind of pivot before we get to the Mitt Romney thing, which is hilarious. Pivot to what's happening um, out of the House GOP. Number one, finally launching an impeachment inquiry, as you just said. And then two, you could explain a little bit about what's happening with the government shutdown, the budget, continuing resolutions, you know, same sort of thing that we've seen forever and ever. So um, why don't we start with that, Liz? The government, looming government shutdown. Kevin McCarthy wants some sort of temporary budget deal. I think it's like a minibus or something. It's like they're calling it the minibus instead of an omnibus. Um, And they're trying to, like, make a deal until they can make a bigger deal. When the right position is this is what we want. We're going to shut it down otherwise. Full stop. You know, um, that's kind of what's going on right now. They're bickering over little things so that they can later bicker over the bigger things. They can kind of kick that can down the road. And, you know, I think Repu- most Republicans, most people, they d- nobody really notices the government shutdowns when they happen. If you go back in the past and you remember, we've, you know, the government's shut down a couple times. Um, you know, nobody really notices. 
all you see, you see headlines, the media freaks out, right? Because that's their business, right? That's their, that's their meat, you know, is the government machine. And so they're freaking out and they have stories, they put stories out how terrible it is, you know, it's like, oh, this little, little kid, little Sandy can't get chemotherapy treatment because, you know, the Republicans shut the government down, which is like all lies. Um, And they tell these horrible stories, but in generally the average person does not have any experience directly of government shutting down because essential workers still come in to 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 do work um so the irs is not going to be shut down so yeah well (laughs) um but the so the position of the republicans needs to be we are going to um shut the government down unless we get what we want full stop so Right. Yeah. But it won't it won't be right, unfortunately. Oh, no, they're not. They're already ready. To, they're already making deals. And until the Republicans are willing to just say what I just said, which is that we are going to shut the government down. And unless we get what we want, because this is what the Democrats do. Um, that it, it it's it's kind of a joke. It's more of it's more failure theater, I guess you could say. Um like so many other things that we see where there's like these overtures and rhetoric and, you know, the House Freedom Caucus is standing really strong. And because there's such a small minority in the House, you know, they do carry more weight than they have in the past. But again, you know, the Republicans opening move needs to be we're shutting it down. We are shutting it down. And that is not the opening move at all. It is not. (laughs) <laughs> unfortunately. So. Um, so what do you think is going to happen with the impeachment inquiry? I mean, there is no evidence, Liz. There's no evidence tying None. anything None. to Joe Biden. Not Zero. I mean, that's what the Washington Post tells us anyway and everyone else, including Mitt Romney. <laughs> we, well, we're I just mean, teasing the Mitt Romney thing. It's coming. Don't worry, people. It's um, I think I don't think it's serious. I think McCarthy had to do it for a couple reasons. One reason is that the people are so angry over what we do know. We know the evidence, if you will. They're so angry. There's going to be a real problem in 2024 for House elections. You know, people are pissed that it looks like the Republicans aren't doing anything. And the stuff coming out about Hunter is so bad, so obvious, so problematic that they have to do something or else they're going to they're just going to the house is just they're going to lose like totally it's going to be yes. vicious so i think right. that's why mccarthy did anything but the question is how how is it proceeding right what are they doing now we have a bunch of whistleblowers like i mentioned earlier you know we had irs and treasury and probably more that we don't even know about um but the question is what are they actually doing are they because what they need to do is subpoena Hunter and Joe's communications and financials. That's what they need to do. If they don't do that, they're not serious. That's it. That they're absolutely not serious. And I would be shocked if they, they do do that, to be honest with you. But if they do that, then they're in a terrible position because if they do that, they're going to get the, the, the house will be sued or whoever, whatever the committee I think is oversight. I believe oversight is going to conduct the impeachment inquiry. Okay. okay. They're going to sue the Democrats. Cause it's, here's the thing. 
look how the Democrats handle stuff and look how the Republicans handle stuff. The Democrats are already ready to go. They'll they're going to drag the the House into court and say, you cannot get the president or vice president and his derelict son. You can't get his financials and his communications, even though they certainly tried to get Trump's financials, if you uh, recall that. Well, they did. uh, They did. They got some of it. Right. They got so some they of had it. To, I don't he know. Had to turn they, over tax records to I think it was yeah. the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, this is more than tax records. The, right. They need to get bank account transactions. So they're going to go to court. And where do you think the court is that they're going to go to to g- try and get these records, Julie? You get one guess. Let me think. Yeah. Um. Certainly not the. Louisiana court with Judge Wapner, not Judge Judy, not Judge Wapner, not Judge Reinhold. Keep going. Who is it? (laughs) No, it's going to go to the D.C. courts. Yes, exactly. Go to to your friends. Yeah. All your friends that you love, Meta and all those crazy people. Kanye Chutkin, Tim Kelly. You pick it. Doesn't matter. Yes. They'll be like, no, it's a lose. It's a lose, lose. So. That's the big problem that they have is if they're serious, that's what they would do. They would get all of Hunter Biden's financials and and Joe Biden's financials. I mean, there's obviously a lot of money coming in. Where is it going? You can you can trace it. So you <clears throat> you can trace some of it depending on how, uh, you know, how well it was hidden. I remember there was a report. I think someone, maybe one of the IRS agents who was testifying, talked about how Hunter got a payment for like the exact price of some car, like a Lamborghini or something, or a Maybach. (laughs) Right. Just like really shifty, you know, or it's like, yes, my my fee is, you know, $164,397.68. Like that kind of obviously that, that he got a car, but transactions like that. So um, if they're serious, those are the things that they're going to do and they're going to get fought. They're going to be fought over it. And, you know, maybe that's why McCarthy's hesitant. I don't know. I, I don't necessarily want to ascribe benefit to him, but I will in this case say, look, he knows they can make a big thing out of this and they can go through the motions. They're only going to get smacked down. And then the and, and for what? You know, will the people hold them responsible for failing because the courts are never going to let this happen with a Biden. Well, whereas they certainly would with a Trump and they did, you know, so that's, that's what I think. Honestly, I think it's failure theater. I do. Um, But I also think it's probably necessary for the Republicans if they want to keep the house, because people are really angry that nothing is getting done and they are putting the blame in a lot of, in a lot of ways, correctly on the Republicans that are in the House. But in some ways, they are kind of screwed because, again, if they do the right thing and get those subpoena comms and bank records of of Biden as sitting president and of of Hunter, it's just going to go to court. And then that's going to drag out. That's going to drag out. And they're probably going to lose. So, you know, if anyone's excited and thinks this is going to be awesome and Biden's the Bidens are going to get what's coming to them, I have a bridge to sell you because that is not going to happen. Well, and I guess the issue is we want Joe Biden to have to run next year for president. Like we oh, want yeah. him to go out and have Dr. Jill next to him like she was yeah. 
on Wednesday, you know, prompting him. And look, she's the reason he's going to keep running. She's just a vile human being. And she thinks that she's president. She sat in that meeting. Why are you even there with her glasses on? And she had her file in front of her, you know, telling Joe what to say. Um, So we want him to run. There's already calls now. I think it was David Ignatius in the Washington Post this week said Biden should not run. Most Democrats don't want him to run. So in a way, of course, the risk is this could backfire and there'll be more internal calls, media calls, Democrats calling for him to step aside and let someone else run based on what the American people. I mean, I guess aside from going court and getting all of the bank records. I think that Jim Comer has done a fantastic job. These whistleblowers coming forward, these organizations empower oversight, et cetera, who are really doing the dirty, you know, digging into the, the heavy lifting. Dirt. Yeah. Yeah. The heavy lifting on this. So, but look, most of the American public still ha- has no clue about any of this. So to the extent that any impeachment inquiry committee hearings will be nationally televised like they did with the J6 committee, they probably won't. But um, this is a way to get that information out to a broader audience. But let's say that it does backfire. Biden is so damaged, which he already, you know, I mean, Trump is ahead of him in polls. DeSantis is ahead of Biden in a few polls. Um, He's really on the ropes already. So how does this further damage him to the point where he steps aside and then who do we have? Kamala Harris will never let her run. So who will it be? No. Well, there's like two kind of, there's two different things going on here with Biden. So first you have, is he going to run? Now he's either going to run or not. And I don't think that has anything to do with the impeachment inquiry, right? Like I don't think that they're going to find something and it's so bad on this impeachment inquiry that he's going to have to resign. Like I don't, that is absolutely not going to happen. And the reason that's not going to happen is because this inquiry is already neutered because a lot of people are complicit in all of this Hunter and Joe Biden shit that has gone down. And, and that implicates, you know, the permanent bureaucracy and those people aren't going to go down to, because people somewhere up high up at the treasury department and it, even in the intelligence agencies, they knew damn well what Hunter Biden was doing. And they knew that Hunter Biden was, you know, his dad, Joe, was it was dirty. He's always been kind of a dirty piece of shit. And we've mentioned that on the show, but he was never like a cute old, he's old, happy Joe. No, he was a dick. He's always a dick in the right. Senate. And in, I think he was in the House, too. So that isn't going to happen. There's not going to be an investigation that finds something where it's so obvious that they're going to have to get rid of Biden as a candidate because, like I said, there are other agencies and people who are involved that will always protect themselves. And that's why they're going to fight this impeachment inquiry, because honestly, if they don't want Biden to run. Right. As you said, they've come out in the polls show. People really are like this guy's 100 and he's completely has got mashed potato brains. If you watch any public appearance, you know, he was over in Vietnam. He was, you know, he said he's going to go to bed. I mean, in the middle of a speech and they had to shut the mic off and cart him away. So um, those, so Biden isn't going to get like be pushed out from that because, because as I was saying, why not just let them find the stuff and push them out if they're really trying to get rid of him? But that's not going to happen because too many important people are involved. So then that's it's a separate it's like a separate issue. What has to happen to get Biden to just not run again? 
You know what I mean? The, the impeachment inquiry and Biden running again or staying on the ticket are two totally separate things. Now, what what will it take? I don't know. In a way, they don't want I think I think the Democrats, like as an institution or the Obama machine or you know, who's really running things, I think they kind of want Joe as a candidate because he's basically an empty vessel and they can just do whatever the hell they want. They just prop him up and move his mouth like a puppet and he can say whatever they want because, you know, Biden's not the one making the calls here. He's literally has mashed potato brains. So in a way, Biden is the perfect candidate for them. And as long as it's Trump that's running against him, the gamble is that as much as people don't like Biden, they'll still pick him over Trump. That is the political calculus going on here. What, what do you th- what do you, do you agree with me, Julie? What do you think? That they'll pick Biden over Trump? Yes, the Democrats. Like, oh, yeah, they're for not. Sure. Of course. Right. So that's they're they're betting that no matter how bad Biden is, that he's people will still just say, I'm going to vote for Biden against Trump. And because Trump is so bad, they won't stay home. You know, Republicans had a bunch of cycles where people just didn't go vote when that shithead John McCain was running that little fucker Pierre Delecto was running you know the Republicans (laughs) just didn't turn out to vote it's not like vote for someone else they didn't vote for Hillary or Obama they just didn't vote so by the way did you see I hate to interrupt you mid-rant but did you see the poll of unlikely voters they actually polled people who do not plan on voting and by two to one if they had to vote they would vote for Trump is that weird I think it isn't weird because if you're not going to vote, you 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 already have you already hate the system. Like there's you have like a sort of animosity toward the system. And Trump is like the not system dude. You know, he's like the the iconoclast. He's like not part of the the whole machine. So in a way, I think that 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 makes sense. Well, and I think, too, people on our side are so demoralized about the voting election system They know that they're going to pull the same shit in 2024 that they did in 2020. I mean, no way in hell did Joe Biden get 81 million votes. There's no way. I don't believe it. Most Republicans still don't believe it. They still believe that the election was rigged and stolen. You're not going to change their minds, no matter how much you call us insurrectionists for (laughs) believing it. I mean, and even with what happened, Trump was, what, 45,000 votes away from winning in three states? Georgia, yeah. Wisconsin, Arizona, I think that's yeah. it. So this is another, you know, another motive behind January 6th is to continue to um, demoralize the base and say, when we try to pull this shit and we do in 2024, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. You can't protest. Well, and- you can't file lawsuits. You can't do investigations because if you do, you're going to be a domestic terrorist. Well, and also it keeps the narrative up that keep people afraid of Trump getting to be president. So voting for Biden, which is the boogeyman of the like domestic terrorists that tried to overthrow the government on January 6th. Right. They get to keep that narrative alive because there are midwits that actually think that a bunch of people stormed the Capitol and wanted to seize control of the United States government. I mean, there are midwits that think this. They do, because that's. What the fucking media tells them all of the time, all day, every day. So, yes, I think that as long as the the left can keep that narrative alive, you keep people afraid to say, well, I don't like Biden and he's obviously demented 
and doesn't know what planet he's on, but he's better than Trump because of da 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 you know the January sixth white right. supremacist da 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 you know that thing. So it really gives the Democrats that, and that's what they're that's what they're gambling on. If they can't get rid of Joe Biden, they're gambling on the fact that people say. Yes, Biden's horrible. He's incompetent. He's not in his right mind, but he's better than Trump. That is what they're counting on. So speaking of Trump, I I know this just came out. Megyn Kelly sat down with him for about an hour and talked to him and she really gave him some tough questions and he did not watch that. Is that live yet? Pardon me? Is that that live yet? I saw a clip, but I didn't see if she put the whole thing up. I didn't see the whole thing. Okay. Um, Good, but, good for know. her for getting that interview. I like, I generally like Megan Kelly. Sometimes she has on the cucks. I don't like that. Yeah, Julie we know. Dex, Julie Dex, Dex, Dexy's Midnight Runner. He's a freaking yep, guy. That, that crowd, those yes. people, the one hit wonders. Um, but <laughs> generally I find Megan Kelly, she's a pretty good interviewer. So I'm excited to see this because she really isn't obsequious. You know, she's not going to be like a Hannity or, a, you know, someone else on Fox that's, like more suck up, suck, sucky uppy to Trump. So I can't right. wait to watch that. But go ahead. Go, what were you saying about that? Um, what well, just he he did not have good answers, especially her questions about the vaccine, his COVID response, giving Mark Milley and Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burke's presidential commendation medals the day before he left office. I Ugh. mean, these are. These are legitimate concerns. And the fact that he still cannot admit all the mistakes that were made during COVID and putting Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks and Mike Pence in, in charge of not just the national economy, but the global economy, you know, shutting our kids out of school, shutting down businesses. He recognized, obviously, by April that it was a mistake, but he still to this day will not admit Um you know, his role in that. And I think that that's, that's going to be, a, that's a problem for him. And, but, you know, there are people on our side, it's, it's a small percentage who did think that the vaccines worked, who took the vaccines, who thought it was a good idea to stay six feet away from each other. So, um, but obviously we have different, a different view on how that was handled early on. Now the, the flip side too, he won't repent for the mistakes that he made and the damage that was caused over those lockdowns, the first 15 days, then extending that through April of 2020. On the flip side of that, you know, you've got Ron DeSantis who, you know, figured out, I think sooner than most, it was a mistake, but he also is revising his history of what happened in Florida. And I think that this is going to come back to bite everyone. But I'm sure the Nikki Haley and Tim Scott's of the world, you know, Mike Pence was the head of the coronavirus task force. So obviously he's going to be out there when he's not talking about January 6th and how he saved the nation. Um, But, you know, all of the other candidates went along with this and they're not going to be critical of the vaccines or the lockdowns, maybe Vivek, which is why I'm sort of leaning towards him at this point. I I mean, because they're not no one's being honest about COVID. They're not right. being, Trump is not being honest. DeSantis is not being honest. That is what really fries me about both of them to be, to tell you the truth. No, I think that's, a, that's a fair criticism. Now, Vivek has the luxury of not holding an office. So, True. you know, he wasn't like a governor or of a state, like, or whatever Nikki Haley was or what, you know, he, or 
Tim Scott, you know, he wasn't like signing legislation, you know, punishing, going along, going along for the ride. I think you have a very good point about somebody, people needing to take responsibility and just accurately talk about it. And I, I do believe that a lot of people um, would forgive, forgive it, forgive some of the stuff. I know I would, because, you know, in the very beginning, people didn't really know what was going on. And so, and they also didn't know they were being lied to, tricked and manipulated and deceived. And so I think in the very beginning, I, I remember it was, it may have been April when Trump goes, kept saying, oh, we're going to open up by Easter. Or so, Do you remember that? Like, oh, we're going to, no, we're, we're going to, yes. like after the 15 days to slow the spread, oh, we're going to open up by Easter. And then that never happened. And it is important to have accountability. But the question, my question is, how important is that? to people who are Trump supporters, you know, the diehards. I mean, is that anyone's It's not. It's not. Changed, you know? Yeah. And it's unfortunate because this was such a tragedy. This is like the biggest tragedy this country's faced in my lifetime and maybe the se- in the last hundred years to almost Definitely. to be the effect. I mean, we're still in the middle of the consequences of it and who knows how long we're going to be suffering and how much we've the world has changed because of these terrible decisions. Permanently. So there does permanently. You know, there needs to be accountability for sure. Yeah. And I just don't think we're ever going to get it because, you know, in a political race, everybody's kind of angling to get their narrative. You know, like DeSantis did figure out before others, but you know, he shut Florida down too. I remember because you were there and I was like, hey, is it shut down? And you're like, yeah, some of the places are shut down. So it's not like nothing ever happened. But, you know, I don't know why DeSantis and wouldn't he just pushed be straight about that. He did push vaccines. I mean, he yeah, he, and, he wore a mask. You know, he did that. He he did all that. So I I would he would be the best one to say I did it. I took the advice. I thought the vaccines were good. You know, you had old people who were clamoring for those vaccines. I get it. You know, I've talked to people to this day who are vaccine injured and they regret that they did it. But they're like, you know, my mom's 85 and I had to do it to fly or I had to do it to go see her at the nursing home or I was just afraid I was going to catch it and make her sick. So I, that I understand. And I think DeSantis would have a good argument to make that case, Yeah, but to pretend he didn't do any of this, you've got the record right there. Like you did it. You signed numerous states. There were states that didn't shut down at all. I mean, there were some that never shut down. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't think South, I think South Dakota never shut down. South Dakota didn't shut down. Um, Georgia, um, I think actually Brian Kemp was really the first one to start opening stuff like gyms and nail salons. And I remember the White House, Kelly Conway, Kellyanne Conway specifically, like saying it was too early. So, well, yeah, they went after Brian Kemp for opening they up. Sure did. I mean, they went to Kemp and DeSantis, I think. And they were like, look, you don't do it. And it, that is just disgusting. Totally disgusting. It is. It is. But again, you know, for any for. Trump not to admit the mistakes that he made, that he was listening to the wrong people um, or, you know, that Operation Warp Speed was a wonder uh, is is just not going to fly, I think. But also DeSantis not owning up to his role in his state, pretending that nothing happened, that he kept it open and didn't do it. So anyway, we're repeating ourselves. But yes, the Megyn Kelly interview looks um, looks pretty interesting good yeah like i said she's she's pretty good she's a pretty good interviewer she's interviewed some of the other presidential candidates and um she's done a good job she's 
asks hard questions. And the thing about Megyn Kelly is Megyn Kelly is actually really smart. Um, a lot of these clowns on TV, like a tapper, you know, like a like a power bottom, like Jake Tapper. Sorry for being so gross, but it fits. You know, these like light, <laughs> these lightweights. You know, Megyn Kelly's actually pretty smart, and she's very well prepared for her interviewers. And I, I, I do watch a couple episodes of her show every week, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I know she's talked to other people um, as well, and she's you know she's pressed them, but. You know, to be honest, nobody cares about these other candidates, the Nikki Haley's, the Tim Scott's, the Pence's. It, it really, right. it's like Vivek, DeSantis and Trump are really in in play. You know, Christie and whoever else or some other dude like North Dakota. Right. That dude, whatever yeah. his name yeah. is. I, we, I don't even remember, you know, th- they're they're out of the game anyway. So that's really the only thing that 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 matters. So I'll be curious to see the Trump the Trump interview. I don't know. Does she interview Vivek? Do you know? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm, my guess is that she'll interview everyone. Did she interview DeSantis? I don't think she has. No, I don't think she has. I saw um, All In podcast, the last show, one of my favorite podcasts after oh, Happy yes. Hour, Julian Liz. They interviewed uh, Chris Christie. Um, and they, they're not an easy crowd either because they're not dumb. And um, except for Jake Cal. Um, but the other three are smart and, you know, they asked him some tough questions. And, you know, Christy, you know, he's a garbage person, too, but he is fairly good on the media. He's sleazy. He's a slimy media train, little little yipping ankle biting gutter snipe. So he can <laughs> <Wow>. maneuver well. <laughs> oh, do you, you you know, you agree. Totally. Yes, of course. I love he's it. He's a little ankle biting gutter snipe. He's just there to throw like spit wads on Trump. You can tell he's just. It's almost like he's jealous of Trump or it's just not totally healthy. Totally jealous. To, yes. For he for someone to have that degree of like passion for someone, it's not something's wrong with you if you're that animated with like hate and criticism. But anyway, it was is kind of a good interview um on All In. And I know that they are they did Vivek and they're doing the other candidates. Like they did DeSantis. I don't know if actually I don't know if they did DeSantis. But anyway, that's great. I'm excited to look to to watch Megan Kelly talk to talk to Trump. Um it'll be again the campaign trail is going to get interesting soon because Trump's got to show up in court and do court things. Yeah, so we didn't even get there really wasn't much movement. Well, we just found out that um a federal judge has severed Kenneth Chesbro Chesbro and Sidney Powell from um the Fannie Willis indictment. And he kind of suggested in his order that there could be more defendants severed uh, in the future because it's just too unwieldy of a case. There's too many defendants. It would impose too big of a burden on a single jury and judge. So that's breaking news coming out. So we'll see uh, what else happens there. I'm not following that as closely as the other ones, but nothing really happened in the Florida case. Judge Cannon signed off on a um, protective order pursuant to the Classified Information Security Act, SISA, blah, blah, blah. So that's happening. Nothing really new in the January 6th case, but the D.C. grand jury is still working. Jack Smith um, still, we're expecting to bring charges against people like Sidney Powell, the six unindicted co-conspirators. So there's not much happening, uh, not too much happen there in those cases Okay. this week. All right, but don't, but not to worry. <laughs> Something horrible will happen soon. 
on, on in any front. Don't be surprised. Um. So should we get to as we close up? Unfortunately, did not hear from Joe Biggs. I'm hearing that they're back in 23-hour solitary confinement at the Gulag because of COVID, allegedly. But it's really just to torment Uh these guys. So um, let's see. Should we? The biggest news of the week (laughs) is Mitt Romney. Is our friend Mittens, also known as Pierre Delecto on Twitter, um, literally the most useless senator ever, almost, just has announced that he will not seek re-election in 2024. And people are celebrating because he's a horrible, horrible, horrible senator and person and loser, really. He's a consistent record of losing. And so um, McKay Coppins wrote a book... (laughs) Okay, McKay Coppins at the Atlantic. So he actually wrote a book about Mitt Romney because there's huge demand for that, right? Who doesn't want a book on Mitt Romney? Who doesn't want to wake up on Christmas morning and get a book about Mitt Romney? It's like under the tree. Look what Santa brought you. If that's not like aggressive, a hate-filled action, I don't know what is. Yeah. Anyway, a book about Mitt Romney. So all you really need to do is read the Atlantic piece from McKay Coppins. Um, And really, you don't need to know anything else about Mitt Romney, except this article will just make you hate him even more if it's possible. So he starts out. So first of all, Coppins says that, wow, I'm surprised how much time Mitt Romney gave to me to talk to me about this book and writing this book. You know, I would go there in the evenings and and he would just hang out. And he's like, I got the sense that he really didn't have anyone else to anything talk else to. to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. He was like, so desperate for human contact. It's almost like playing chat roulette or whatever on the internet, like just hoping someone interesting will like pay attention to you. Right. So he talks about how he, um, his wife won't come and visit him in Washington. His family won't come and visit him. He's got this, sad. <laughs> he's got this townhouse with glittering at, um, at the Watergate, glittering views of the Potomac, um, so, and he bought it for $2.4 million, and I guess he redid it. Decorator filled the room with tasteful furniture and calming abstract art. They made, like, a little <laughs> backyard patio. And then she decides she's never going to go see him. His family never comes to see him. Uh, Romney, who didn't have many real friends in Washington, ate dinner alone most nights. On the first day of my visit, he showed me his freezer, which was full of salmon fillets that had been given to him by Lisa Murkowski, another traitor senator, Republican, allegedly from Alaska. He didn't especially like salmon, but found that if he put it on a hamburger bun and smothered it in ketchup, it made for a surface of meal. That is disgusting. That is disgust. That is the most disgusting thing you will hear on this podcast in our two and a half years, Julie, or however long it's been. Nothing is disgusting as that. That's nothing said on this podcast. It's a new low. Nothing. Yeah. Um. So anyway, 
so they go, he goes on to talk about, now Romney is just a freak. Of, of course, he accomplished absolutely zero in the Senate. Like, what did he ever do? What legislation did he ever author? What heavy lifting? He never broke a sweat, right? But what's gross really here is how he basically spied on his Senate colleagues and kept a diary of uh-huh. what they were doing. And in one, For I'm what? just getting to it. I, I, I don't know. Um, I never, let's see. He what, he talks about watching Senator Durbin, Dick Durbin and a few others work out and he's laughing at Ew. them. I mean, who does that? Oh, that is crazy. He actually said, I, that's kind of weird that he would admit that to McKay Cop, like he would put allow that to be put in print that he did something like that because it's gross. Here's what he says. Romney became fascinated by the strange social ecosystem that governed the Senate because people are, have social lives and he doesn't. He spent his mornings in the Senate gym studying his colleagues like he was an anthropologist, jotting down his observations in his journal. Richard Burr, senator from North Carolina, worked on walked on the treadmill in his suit, pants, and loafers. Sherrod Brown and Dick Durbin pedaled so slowly on their exercise bikes that Romney couldn't help but peek at their resistance settings. Durbin was set to one and Brown to eight. My setting is 15, not that I'm bragging. He recorded. What a weirdo! Ew. <laughs> That's crazy. That is not healthy. No. Um, so I'm that, sure his Senate colleagues will be thrilled to read that he was documenting all of this and now sharing it with a reporter who will have it in in his book just to do nothing more than, of course, as Romney does, brag about himself, what a righteous man he is, and um, embarrass uh, his his colleagues who hate him. So. The good news is nobody's going to read the book. So <laughs> no, no. There's we that. have all we need to know from the article. Oh, wow. But I that is just people really... to check it out. He also talks about January 6th. Oddly said that he got a text from Senator Angus King, who said he had talked to a senior Pentagon official, i.e. Mark Milley, who said that they had been seeing, you know, traffic on social media talking about killing Mitch McConnell, bringing guns to the Capitol, blah, blah, blah. Oddly, he didn't pass that along to any, or he did then text Mitch McConnell about it. McConnell didn't respond, allegedly. But my question is, if he had this information and he was concerned, why has he waited to share that? That seems Um, kind of important. Where is the, um, so I would like to know what social media posts were people saying that they were going to the Capitol to kill Mitch McConnell? Like, I'm skeptical that th- those exist. I mean, I-, I could be wrong, but I don't no. I don't think there are people on Twitter saying I am now going to the Capitol with weapons to kill Mitch McConnell. Like, I just well, don't know. I believe, believe that, that there are there were people doing that, Liz, but they were FBI agents. They were <laughs> they were fed <laughs> they were Capitol Police. OK, they were. I mean, we know we know they from Whitmer, and we know from January 6th, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, <laughs> these FBI informants who were in these group chats talking smack. So, of course, they were, they were which is fed. why no one investigated it, because they don't want to investigate their own people. Like, oh, where oh were these gosh. posts coming from? From you. Oh, they're, 
coming from the seventh floor of the FBI building. <laughs> that would wow. be kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I just, so. I get, my hackles get up when I hear someone start talking about crazy people taking threats, crazy threats seriously on social media when, you know, I can think of actual threats that were made on social media that were ignored. And then someone went on to shoot up Parkland school <laughs> because the FBI couldn't investigate it. But you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of weird how that works. Some of the things they investigate and some of the things they don't when it's useful to them. So uh, good to remember. So, well, we are at our hour. That went by so fast. It did. That's crazy. That's good. But uh, are we going to be here next week, Julie? We will. And hopefully um, at some point we will be able to have one of these detainees, political prisoners uh, on the show. So we'll be watching out for that. So maybe we can get one on next week. See if we could awesome. set that schedule. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. Happy Hour with Juliet Liz. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.